It was so heartwarming the first few weeks of a lot of our guests coming in and re-establishing these kind of new relationships with some regulars that we've had for years. Um, but now we've got this, you know, I guess deeper, <laughs> deeper relationship with them because they genuinely asked, you know, how are you going? Like, um, I'd get choked up every person that came in that I recognised and they're like, you know, you're doing, you're doing a great job, um, you know, keep it up and yeah, it's been incredible. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. In some ways, Australia's isolation from the rest of the world has helped shield us from the spread of the COVID-19 virus. But Tasmania, an Australian state and an island itself, has been isolated from the rest of Australia since shutting its borders. With a small population and two hubs, Hobart and Launceston, what has the impact been on the hospitality sector that traditionally leans on a tourist trade? Bianca Welsh is one of Australia's smartest young professionals and is leading the teams at Stillwater and Black Cow Bistro in Launceston. Hi Bianca, how are you? Hi, Hark, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. I, I think um, we're going to cover a broad range of issues here because we haven't spoken to someone from Tasmania yet, so we're really interested in your insight. Um, but I guess, first of all, can you just sort of tell us what it was like pre-COVID and and the impact that it had on both of your restaurants when uh, the government handed down um, the mandate to close restaurants and only do takeaway. Yeah, sure. So pre-COVID, it's quite tragic really because we had one of the strongest summers we've we've personally ever had. Stillwater's uh, entering into its 20th year and, um, yeah, we had the best summer ever on record. So it was quite, um, you know, we were really positive about the future and, you know, we just opened our rooms um, just over a year ago, seven seven rooms on site. And, um, yeah, we were really, we were humming along quite well. Then when the, when the Tasmanian government closed the borders as such, um, we knew then things were getting serious and, we had seen a drop-off anyway leading up to that of, of tourists, um, particularly obviously international, but, you know, interstate was starting to drop off. And then, yeah, when the borders closed, that really put things into perspective for us and made us realise that this is going to be very different to what we had expected to be for the next few months. Uh, and then we, um, you know, that week that felt like, it was a year um, for everyone in, in hospitality particularly, uh, was just, yeah, it was a blur um, and so much work. We just tried to adapt as quickly as we could um, to the changing settings each day. And, yeah, when we got handed down from the federal government that it was takeaway only was, um, yeah, I guess just devastating. But it was almost... Um, as some of people have commented on on this podcast, it was easier for that to be handed down because it made it clearer for us what what the landscape was going to be for the future. So you have the two restaurants and they they're quite different, and there's accommodation at one of them as well. What what how many people are you employing, and what was the impact on uh, the staff? 
So we employ, we, we define them as being three businesses, the rooms and the two restaurants. So between the three, we had just over 60 staff before this happened. Um, we stood down, I think it was 50, about 50. Uh, and then obviously with JobKeeper coming in was um, a huge game changer. And uh, we were able to bring back, I think it ended up being 41 uh, across the three businesses that were eligible. Um which we were, you know, stoked with, but obviously that was a huge uh, impost on us to fund that until the money came through. So, you know, personally that was really challenging um, and confronting. Uh, you know, we personally had to, you know, sell a car. Um, James and I, you know, I, I work with my husband. He's he's a sommelier. Um, and that was, yeah, uh, it's all relative. You know, you kind of feel guilty that there are people that are so much worse off. Um, but it's, yeah, I guess those in hospitality know how much you sacrifice to be in this industry and to own your own business. Um, so yeah, we, uh, and then we've kept on, we have two, we had a handful of internationals. Um, we've managed to keep two on sort of minimal hours. Um, and unfortunately I had to let the rest go, but we managed to find quite a lot of picking work for our team because we're right in, you know, a heart of the Tamer Valley essentially. Um, so quite a lot of the front of house were able to get jobs picking. So that kind of tied them over for a month or so. Um, and yeah, that was the, like the community support people reaching out and saying, you know, I've got a couple of spots for pickers was just, yeah, really heartwarming and made us feel very good. So you've managed to bring back 41 staff on board, but the businesses aren't open, obviously, um, and bit running as normal restaurants. Uh, how do you how do you decide sort of what roles are played and what what people can do to uh, in that employment model? Yeah, it was quite tricky. Uh, although some circumstances, you know, we've got a lot of uni students. Um, you know, quite a few single parents uh, and young parents. Um, so it was just trying to work within the parameters of each individual's availability and their situation. Um, there were quite a few that we didn't have working to begin with. Um, we were just keeping with sort of the more senior staff. Um, and like a lot of the uni students, we just kind of left them to focus on their studies, I guess you can say, uh, and then slowly brought people back in. So the kitchen, the kitchen's, I guess, a different beast because most of those were full-time anyway, um, whereas the front of house, we just kind of shared around the roles, um, you know, doing deliveries, doing the take, you know, doing coffee shifts, um, you know, facilitating the, the takeaway. But I guess for anyone that has opened back up and is doing takeaway um, and delivery, it's just, it really requires a lot of people to do it well and to cover as many grounds as you can in terms of covering deliveries. And so it's been quite surprising how many like bodies we've needed, particularly on those busy nights on Fridays, Saturdays. Um, we've been so grateful for the support and the interest in, in what we've been offering. Um, you know, we launched Stillwater's dinner back uh, for Good Friday. I think we sent out 120 mains, which we were just like blown, blown away by. Um, and so, you know, a busy night for us. We're maybe doing like 40, 50 main courses going out. Um, and then at Black Cow, like the response has just been phenomenal when we announced so we announced we were going to do takeaway 
uh, in the early, like before we were forced to do takeaway there because we've got such a tourist market there. Um, we've got a, a really large Asian tourist market uh, at Black Cow. They love their Tasmanian beef and, you know, come with the, you know, the little Japanese guides that we've been printed in um, over the years um, and point at what they want, you know, they want what's in the picture. Um, so with the international travel, obviously, you know, slowing down, we just knew we needed to uh, adapt quite quickly. I don't like the word pivot. Um, we needed to adapt very quickly. So that was, um, we were really caught off guard, you could almost say. We think, uh, I think it was the first Friday night there, we did 140 main courses go out and it's a tiny shoebox of a kitchen. I, I don't know if you remember, Huck, I remember when I looked after you at Black Cow many, many, many years ago. Um, it's a tiny, tiny space. So for the team to do that down there was just absolutely incredible. I can't believe it. Yeah. It's <laughs> insane. <laughs> It's waned a little bit now. Obviously, you know, the the, um, the novelty has worn off, I suppose, and the reality uh, over over the last, you know, six or seven weeks for, I guess, each, um, each local's industry potentially being affected a little bit later than hospitality has slowed things down somewhat, but um, it's still been, yeah, the community support has been really amazing. How important has that sense of community been in these circumstances? And, you know, the restaurants have relied on that tourism trade, but the community jumping on board and what, what's the feeling there in Launceston at the moment? It's actually really positive. It's been quite optimistic. I think Launceston's been lucky in that we've had minimal cases in Launceston. Um, and so I think people have moved around a little bit more freely and a little bit with with a little bit more confidence perhaps than particularly places like Melbourne and Sydney um, and the northwest of Tasmania. I'm sure that most people have, have seen the news reports of the outbreak there as it's been used as a bit of an example of what could happen um, in a small regional area. Um, so everyone's been, you know, really, yeah, really supportive and really positive and it's just it was so heartwarming the first few weeks of um, a lot of our guests coming in and re-establishing these kind of new relationships with some regulars that we've had for years. Um, but now we've got this, you know, I guess deeper, <laughs> deeper relationship with them because they've genuinely asked, you know, how are you going? Like, um, and to all the staff, not just to us as owners, we're very, I guess, visible as owners because we work quite a lot on the restaurant floor. Um, but they've been really, really interested to know how things are going and if we're doing okay. And those first couple of weeks, I remember there was um, must have been the, the Sunday after being told we can only do takeaway, and the I get shaky talking about it now. Just the number of friends and yeah, regular customers, even and even not that many, not that regular a customer coming in and you know buying a bottle of wine or, um, you know, something that's we've randomly put out on offer. You know, I bagged up some of the teas to sell because we were sitting on so much tea that we used to serve at the restaurant. My, like, oh, we're not going to use that anymore. So, I, you know, I've been bagging that up to sell, you know, bags of beautiful tea craft um, to sell retail and, and the um, I'd get choked up every person that came in that I recognised and they're like, you know, you're doing, you're doing a great job, um, you know, keep it up. And yeah, it's been incredible. 
you know, you and you and James work really hard on these restaurants and, you know, trying to adapt to the current situation, you know, how, how have you felt during this pandemic? You know, are you doing okay? Uh, I, I like to think of myself as being a very resilient person. Um, and there's definitely been, I work and work and work and then I kind of bottle everything up and then it all kind of explodes, um, and gets to a, gets to a head. Like on mother's day, I had one of my, um, breakdowns of tears and existential crisis sort of moments. I've been, um, I, I think just fatigued. Um, you know, everyone's been talking about crisis fatigue, which is, you know, definitely really in that first, first month where we were all bombarded with so much information and, <clears throat> you know, the doom and gloom. What I guess I've, I'm personally feeling now is like a little bit of leadership fatigue, I guess you can say. I'm really driven to be I want to be a leader in our industry. I want to be the leader for our teams. Um, I sit on three community boards that are, you know, organisations that are for purpose, not you call them that instead of not-for-profit these days, um, for purpose. And those three organisations are all affected by the crisis. You know, it's a One's a tourism organisation, one's an arts organisation, one's a, uh, a local chamber of commerce. And to be innovative and to be coming up with ideas for your own four walls and your own family and, you know, to be the beacon of positivity for your team, I think has taken its toll at times. Um, but I feel very well supported. Um, you know, things like this podcast, Huck, have been you know, like a little beacon of, of hope and just to hear other people's um, experiences really comforts me and it makes you feel uh, that you're part of it together. I think we can feel quite isolated in the industry down in little old Tassie uh, and feel like our Melbourne and Sydney counterparts and Adelaide and Brisbane are all so far away from what we do. Um, we feel like, you know, you can sometimes feel like you're experiencing challenges that no one else is feeling. And then when you hear, you know, this great podcast, you just feel, yeah, so comforted by everyone else's stories. Well, that sense of isolation that you're sort of speaking of in Tasmania with sort of the travel ban at the moment and, and the um, aviation sector having its own difficulties at the moment and question marks over Virgin, what, what sort of impact is that going to have on on you guys and the Launceston restaurant scene? Yeah, it's, it is going to be a big impact. Um, I guess we've been in survival mode uh, until, oh, I guess we are still in survival mode. I guess we haven't turned our heads to think about it too much. I guess we're just trying to focus on what's at hand. But when we go to lifting restrictions of trying to, then fill the restaurant, you know, with, you know, the 10-person rule, um, you know, that that's relatively straightforward to fill those 10 seats. But once we go back to having a relatively um, open restaurant, it is going to be a massive challenge. Uh, we really do rely, particularly our venues, on the interstate and international tourism. Um, and it's, you know, it's really nerve-wracking, um, you know, Launceston, to begin with, only had one flight coming in a week 
you know, even when aviation started up, I think there was uh, like maybe three or four flights coming into Launceston a week. Um, so only having one was like, oh, wow, that, you know, that's scary. Um, and who knows what will happen when the travel ban is lifted. Um, I know that in Hobart there's, I think, four or five uh, flights going in and out a week. Um, it is it is a serious concern, uh, but I guess, yeah, we're really relying on the local trade right now and I guess it's it's we're in a good position right now in that people are clawing their own walls, you know, they're ready to get out and they're ready to, you know, indulge in something that they haven't been able to spend their money on. And so we've been picking up, you know, a few bookings here and there for rooms, obviously, of locals um, just wanting to go out uh, get out of their own home. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting to see the Tasmanian landscape without that international travel. Well, let's, um, as you were sort of saying, sort of what's happening right now, let's let's look at what's happening right now in your restaurants. You've chosen to keep one as just takeaway, which is Black Cow Bistro, and to open the doors of Stillwater with the 10-person rule. Um, can you tell us what that's like and and... Uh, how you're playing that out? Uh, so Stillwater, we've decided to just offer walk-in breakfast or brunch eight to one, seven days a week uh, for the 10 and just opening one dining space for the moment. We've got, we're very lucky, our location um, where we are right on the water and we've got, we're like right in the middle of a very popular walking track, a boardwalk. So on the weekends, on Friday, Saturday, Sundays, we do get a huge, um, we've got a huge coffee trade. Um, we, we used to have very busy breakfasts back in the day. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're just going to trial inside dining to begin because we do have outside dining and we've got a couple of private dining rooms and a, a wine bar area and um, Tasmania, we can have two dining areas as long as they the guests don't cross over, you know, you've got your your individual waiters for those areas, um, you know, obviously all your contact tracing, you're taking names and numbers, et cetera. So we're just going to try one space for now and then maybe expand to the inside and outside next week. Um, we're just a bit nervous about crowd control on the weekends. You know, we're doing 250 coffees on a Sunday, wow. which is amazing. But if a quarter of those guests want to dine in, then we're just like, gosh, we don't know how we're going to manage that crowd control and taking names and numbers and you know getting them to come back in an hour like it's a lot of it's obviously a lot of work um, and a model we've never gone with before we've always taken bookings and you know had the space you know we're a 65 seater inside and we could seat about 40 outside um, so we've never had a problem with finding a table for a guest so yeah it's a just a whole new territory and a whole new business model essentially that we're going to be launching into this week um, we've had a few done in this morning, which has been lovely. Um, it almost looks like someone's doing something naughty by sitting in the restaurant. It was quite <laughs> quite odd to see. Um, you know, a couple of people, our first customers celebrated with us and they ordered a glass of um, sparkling wine at 8am, which was lovely um, to feel some sort of normality back there. Um, and then at dinner, we're going to do two sittings. We don't want to rush um, our guests by only doing, you know, an hour and a half sitting, we're going to do two two-hour sittings um, and just see how that goes. Um, and we've got our cellar, which seats 
back in the day 18, but uh, the one in four square metre means we can only see six in that space. Uh, and we're just going to trial that for small groups. Um, we're also going to continue doing takeaway um, meals, but just no delivery um, because those that were doing delivery are now needed back on the restaurant floor and the and the kitchen. So we you know, we had a couple of apprentice chefs doing some deliveries and they'll be needed back in the kitchen, which is great to get them back into the space that they should be. How did it make you feel having people eating in the restaurant for the first time in a long time? Yeah, like, well, I went back up to my office space because I've just been sitting on my laptop in a very large empty room. Um, so I walked up to the office and felt, yeah, uh, it was it felt normal. It was really odd. It was almost, it felt almost like the last six or seven weeks was a dream that, and I still, you know, I think even those first few weeks, probably the first month, I still felt like this was not happening. This was not real. Um, so yeah, it almost feels like it was a dream. So why did you choose to do that with Stillwater and not Black Cow Bistro? And do you have plans to open that soon or? Yeah, with stage two uh, in Tasmania, we can open back up to 20 people in stage two. So that's planned to be the middle of June. Um, so Black Cow is a very different space. It's a small, it's only a 40-seater, but that's across um, a cellar room of 12, so 30-odd on the restaurant floor, um, and a tiny, tiny kitchen. Uh, Stillwater's kind of like a, a gant like a long gantry style kitchen so we can we've got the physical space to pack orders um and and plate up meals and you know it doing takeaway it just requires so much physical space to lay out your bags and you know all those little things that you don't realize you need until you're actually doing it um and so Black Cow, it's just too small. Um, and because of the, to be honest, the popularity of the takeaway offering down there, we, we think we'd be compromising um, our dining-in guests and our takeaway guests if we try to do both. Um, you know, it's, it's incredible the opportunity that we've been presented there is we think that that's potentially a new business model that we have at Black Cow because this response has been so strong that, you know, if we're in the position to do so in the future, we'd love to look for maybe um, a kitchen where we just do a takeaway business out of. Um, so, yeah, Black Cow just, just needs to remain as is. And then when we go to the 20 people um, rule, that'll be, it'll be a much more viable option that we'll probably wind down takeaway to some degree and just do di back to dining in. Um, but, you know, in saying that all this, you know, whilst I say we're, it's successful, you know, we're still only taking a quarter of what we used to in a week. I think people, some people can um, misattribute the amount of bodies that are around and the amount of orders. Um, you know, we're doing a, a, you know, a main and dessert at Black Cow for $45. We're doing three courses at Stillwater for 54 We used to do mains at, you know, $39, $40 at Stillwater. So, it's um, it's it is still difficult um, to make ends meet. I had a customer kind of say to me one busy Sunday, and we had you know quite a lot of people standing out in the courtyard, and 
almost to the point where I, I wanted to move some people on because I felt like we were going to get shut down because there was too many people standing around in the sun, you know, enjoying a takeaway coffee. Um, and she said, oh, gee, you, you must be raking it in. I said, well, <laughs> no, because, you know, our guests are now spending on average, what, $5.50 um, versus, you know, at breakfast, maybe $30, $35. Um, so, no, we're not raking it in. Whilst JobKeeper is an amazing um, scheme, it is, you know, it's just he- it's helping us keep our head above water. Do you think that you'll uh, do things or see things differently um, because of this in the restaurant sector? I'd like to think so. I think the innovation that comes from this in terms of uh, the way our teams are constructed, the way the shifts work, um, our menu, um, you know, really looking at what we what we really want to do with the menu. I think we'd, we'd ended up with such a large offering at Stillwater. Um, we ended up with, you know, a huge a la carte menu. It was massive. We probably had oh, 35 dishes, maybe even more on the a la carte menu. And then the, we did a tasting menu at night as well. Um, a five-course tasting menu, and they were different dishes to what was on the a la carte menu. Um, our breakfast offering was quite large. Um, our lunch menu, you know, only a few dishes crossed over with the lunch, with the dinner menu. Um, so I think it'll be really nice to scale back uh, and really just refocus our energy on what we, you know, on what Craig, our executive chef, wants to serve and what the team want to cook. Um, and at Black Cow, I think we'd become a, not a tourist trap, a, a, but a, just a tourist um, beast, I suppose you can say, because the Asian market kind of, the demand was so strong there that we ended up being quite a high turnover restaurant. You know, the most of the Asian market would come in and eat a main course and, you know, spend the money on a, expensive Wagyu steak and then be gone within an hour. So it became quite a a busy little bistro. Um, We're really looking forward actually to taking it back to what we intended it to be as to be a a more, you know, upper class, higher end style um, steakhouse where our guests can sit and relax and really feel, um, really get an experience with a little less chaos around them, I guess. Um, I'd like to think that the industry as a whole will be able to recenter itself. And, you know, I know that the mental health um, card has been, you know, we've been trying to focus on that more so in the last decade in hospitality, but I'd like to think that with, with us all slowing down and, I guess, finding balance in what we do. I hope, you know, it's been lovely for us personally to have a little bit more home time and more time with our son. Um, I hope that that is another thing that comes out of this time is that we can remember that our teams have families, our teams have other interests um, and that long, those long weeks are just gone for good. I hope that no restaurant returns back to that. Um, it's detrimental to, to everyone and everyone around them. Um, you know, and I know that there's so, so many great leaders out there like, you know, the Attica team and, and um, 
you know, I remember talking to the IADS crew a long time ago about the way they construct their weeks. Um, I hope that a lot of operators out there can really use this time to reevaluate the way a working week looks in an, in industry. Um, and I think the and you know it's been said before on this podcast the re the spotlight back on service or I guess you know the spotlight's never really been on service in Australia um, and being front of house I've always been I guess somewhat frustrated that and I mean there are so many amazing chefs and yes chefs need to be celebrated and their skill and their ability and their drive and their um, you know, their creativity needs to be celebrated, but there's so much to the front of house that your average person who's not in industry doesn't realise um, what it takes to um, to run a successful restaurant floor or to be a memorable waiter in a good way. Um, I, I'd like to think that, I, you know, I loved what you said in your last podcast about that you're not really missing the food, what you're missing is the service interaction. And I really hope that when everyone starts to dine back out again, that they can appreciate the waiter's role a little bit more in their conduit of a really great experience. Well, you've delivered those for people and you've won awards for it. And um, but, but what are you missing from restaurants at the moment? Oh, sorry to, to quote your podcast again, but the Vicky Wilde podcast really got me choked up. Um, I'm really missing that interaction. I'm really missing... I guess the challenge, I love I love getting a challenging customer in the restaurant. I love getting someone who's, you know, a bit frosty, doesn't really want to be there, underestimates your abilities, and then you can turn around and have them, you know, wrapped around your little finger by the end of the night or just they could be, they could become your friend by the end of the night. Um, I love being able to change someone's mood. I love to be able to um, have that, uh, yeah, have the opportunity to maybe make someone's day that little bit better. Um, I'm really missing the banter between the team. I miss just, you know, having a good old laugh and, um, you know, just interacting with the wait staff and the kitchen. Um, you know, I've had some of the best times working <laughs> Um, on the restaurant floor. Uh, I'm missing the discovery of people finding something that they've not had before or a flavour combination and just their eyes light up. Like it really is such um, such an amazing experience to see someone go, oh, my God, you changed my life with that dish or I've never had a wine like that before or um, – and knowing what someone wants before they even know they want it. I love that that skill of a great waiter. Um, you can really connect with someone when you deliver something to the table, either as a complimentary, you know, something that's a special occasion or you suggest something to them that they've not thought of. I, I've always loved that, um, that opportunity. Um, and just to be part of the special occasions, you know, both of our restaurants are seen as special occasion restaurants. I mean, we don't intend them to be that way. We'd like, you know, we hope people would like to dine with us more than, you know, their birthday every year. But 
it's so special um, to be a part of births, deaths, marriages, anniversaries, um, graduations, uh, you know, just celebrating life, you know, that people, I, I often say, you know, you can sort of sense a bit of um, a celebratory vibe on a table and if I've ever inquired and they're like, oh, no, they're just, we're just out to, you know, just to dine. It, it's like I, I, I like almost high five them to say, you know, good on you. It doesn't, you know, dining out doesn't need to be a special occasion. Um, yeah, and just the fun, the fun of getting to know people. Some of my best friends now are people that have I've gotten to know through the restaurant. Um, yeah, I'm missing I'm missing a lot. And that's the beauty of them as well, isn't it? Yes. Yep. I'm really missing it. I'm really looking forward to this week. <laughs> so moving forward, you know, moving forward, you've opened up Stillwater and um, you're going to test the waters with the 10, 10 people. Um, and as we move, move forward through the stages, you know, what, what are the positives to take out of this and what's, what's your hope for the uh, industry in Tasmania and in Australia? I think in Tasmania, <clears throat> the focus on supporting your local venue has been quite a discovery for some people. Um, I think a lot of locals have either rediscovered or discovered for the first time the venues that are on their doorstep. And I think that's going to be great for the future. Um, and to understand, uh, I guess, the sense of community around that because when they, you know, for us here, we see them come down here um, and run into someone that they haven't seen for a while or and you hear it, they're like, oh, wow, you know, I haven't seen you in, in the ages. And that sense of community that a restaurant can bring, that it's not just about going there to eat and serve a purpose. It's about, um, yeah, connecting with people across all walks of life. And um, I think that's going to be a positive for everyone across the world. Um, for Tasmania, the positives, I think, to recalibrate um, on what potentially our local market does want. Um, I guess we had felt forced to satisfy the tourist market because they were the ones um, coming kind of in their droves, you know, in summer, um, you know, our restaurant on a, on a, any given night um, in the middle of summer would be 90% tourists and 10% local. And when you're a small town, you, you know, who is local, it's rare that you kind of don't recognize someone from, seeing them around or, or your general customers. So um, turning that around now to be 90% local and, you know, when those borders lifted, it's going to be a minority tourist trade. Um, so just find out, I guess, what your locals want. It's kind of a bit of a new marketing area that we need to understand what it is that they would like to see on their plate and in their glass. Um, if they are wanting to drink local, if they are wanting, you know, to try things further afield, um, our focus will always be on local produce and championing that. That will never change. Um, but possibly having the time to maybe discover some newer um, suppliers or some smaller suppliers now that we're kind of going to be doing smaller numbers um, 
will be nice to have the time to connect with them. Um, I guess for, yeah, I guess for Australia, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't really think I've put in any thought into what this will mean for the greater. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I can answer that question. Well, I think that your answer about Tasmania pretty much surmises the whole country, really. And um, I think everyone's going to be reaching for their local community again and we're not going to be able to travel overseas, so we're going to be travelling around this beautiful country and hopefully giving a big boost to this hospitality sector that we love. Yeah, absolutely. I've, um, I've, I can't wait to get back to the cities and dine and to go out to regional areas across the country and, yeah, search, um, experience our own backyard rather than getting on a plane and flying out of the country. Although I'm looking forward to that, of course. But <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> uh, Well, Bianca, um, so amazing to chat with you today. Um, good luck with the opening up of the of Stillwater and, um, and then stage two with um, Black Cow Bistro. And um, please keep in touch and let us know how it goes. Thank you. And um, we've loved having you on. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Hug. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.